So for those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Liz and I lead the church with my wonderful husband Stuart, who is also doubles as the tech person on a Sunday morning, hence why he's having to sort out the speakers and um, yes, do whatever he's doing with them at the moment. Just to say, we are a super relaxed church. I know John said this at the beginning, but you know, we're more than happy, like we believe in multi-generational worship. One of the things that God really spoke to me about, and this is not what I'm going to speak about today, when we had our children, obviously we still have our children, they're just growing up. but was to not put them in a separate room all the time and not then not see our prayer life not see our worship and I believe one of the mistakes that we have made in the western church is that if we've stuck children in children's church and I I think there can be a benefit to children's church I'm not saying it's all wrong but we've stuck children in children's church and then we wondered why we've lost a generation because they haven't seen active faith in their adults they haven't seen what it's looked like to worship and to and to minister to one another and we are the body of Christ together and you know we have a very different pattern of worship sometimes it looks like this and next week it's going to look like a prayer breakfast sometimes it looks like us having a meal at our house but we include the children in that because we want them to see kind of what is going on and to see what God is uh, is doing so our heart is not to shove them in an extra in a, in a different room you know there might be times where we do that some of the time but not to do it all of the time because it is so important I actually think it's one of the keys that God showed us um, that has helped our kids kind of go on with with God is because they didn't see a separation between us and our faith. They saw us and it was integrated into our lives. Um, Anyway, that's just a throwaway comment if you're wondering why we kind of do it like this. So, a number of weeks ago, I started a series that I'm doing and Stuart may dip into it at some point as well which is really kind of on discipleship. Now, you might look around the room and think, well, actually, we're all been believers for, for quite a while, or most of us have, or, you know, there's some that have been believers at less, less time. But, you know, we've been around, some of you have done school, our supernatural school, and so you've had loads of input, in, because that's essentially a particular type of discipleship school. So you've had lots of discipleship. But, so why am I kind of talking about this? Why am I talking about discipleship? Well, I think there's two reasons. I think the first reason is, is that we forget We forget sometimes the kind of basics of discipleship, or we haven't had them explained in in a particular type of way, and so it hasn't kind of stuck in. And and, and I'll link into that in a moment. And the second reason is a, a sermon that I actually did quite a number of months ago about mothering and fathering. And that's not us to do with us being parents. That's to do with the fact that the kingdom model of discipleship is mothering and fathering. That is the kingdom model of discipleship. It's person on person. It doesn't matter whether you're 10 years old or whether you're 40 years old or 90 years old. You can be a mother and father to those around you. You know, I've seen it with my own children that actually they have mothered and fathered the kids around them. And so the question I'm asking is how are we doing that? And how are we discipling those people? And how then are we... So do we know exactly what we're discipling people in? And I I, I started this series on discipleship last time, and I talked about something. I talked about silence and solitude, and I'm going to come on to that in a minute. But I want you to get hold of why discipleship is so important, because I believe there is a lot of undiscipled disciples sat around in church. Or in a modern way that you could put it, there's a lot of people who are pew fodder, and not apprentices of Jesus. 
you know, who just come to church on a Sunday. It's a bit like kind of, you know, you go to karaoke on a Friday night and you go to church on a Sunday and you go to, you know, your supermarket on a Monday, but none of it makes any massive difference to your life apart from it kind of picks you up a little bit and then you're off, off you go on with your life. And I think part of the problem is we haven't seen the cost of non-discipleship. Um, and I read this a really amazing quote this week, which um, I've, if Colette's here, she already heard it because um, <laughs> I used it with our second years, but it's so powerful that I just want before that, Stuart. Um, so I'm just going to read it out to you. It's by a guy called Dallas Willard, and if you haven't read any of his books, I'd highly rec- recommend. Um, and he says, non-discipleship costs abiding peace, a life penetrated through by love, faith that sees everything in the overriding governance for good, hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances, power to do what is right, and abundance of life. In short, it costs the exact abundance of life Jesus said he came to bring. So we sometimes talk about the cost of discipleship, but we don't often talk about the cost of non-discipleship. But actually, that's the cost of non-discipleship. If, because we're not discipled, we won't have love. We won't be able to abound with hope in difficult circumstances. We won't be able to live a life of power. We won't know abundance of life. And that's why, you know, when you look at... Around the church universal, a lot of the church doesn't know a lot of these things. Is because there are non-discipled disciples sat around in church or people who are not being apprentices of Jesus and practicing his ways. And so that's why I'm wanting to unpick some of the things that are, are what we're meant to be doing as apprentices of Jesus. And silence and solitude was one that I talked about last time. And I'm revisiting it this time. I found it interesting listening to you all after last, last time um, when we were talking about it because most of you, when you mentioned it and you said, oh, Liz, you know, that sermon, I've been thinking about it, you related it to your quiet time. You related it to your time with Jesus. And actually, I was not talking about your time with Jesus. I was not talking about your time with Jesus. Oh, you're kind of going, well, what were you talking about then? Because we have no idea now. (laughs) If you remember, I picked on this Greek word, and I'm not a Greek scholar. You know, when it comes to Greek words, you definitely need to ask Stuart. Um, I'm not the theologian, but um, I do like, you know, I do like looking up Greek Greek words. And so I came across this Greek word, eremos. Um, And it says, properly, an uncultivated, unpopulated place, a desolate, deserted area, figuratively a barren, barren, solitary place that also provides the needed quiet, freedom from disturbance. And that's in Strong's Concordance, if you wondered where I got it. I didn't make that, that up. And eremos is the word, and we looked at it. We broke into groups last time, if you remember, for those of you that were here. And we looked at um, Jesus going into the wilderness. And what's the word used when he goes into the wilderness? Eremos. And it, all the times in, I think it's nine times in, in Luke's gospel and multiple times in the other gospel, uh, gospels, where it talks about Jesus either going to a quiet place, a restful place, a solitary place, or inviting the, the disciples to a solitary place. It's the word eremos that is used, the same word. So the word that we kind of thought of as wilderness, actually it's this solitary place that um, it, it, Jesus is inviting us into. And of, of course in those places, did Jesus pray? Did the disciples pray? Yes, of course they did. But did Jesus pray for 40 days in the Eremos? 
It doesn't actually say that. It doesn't say that he prayed for 40 days in the Eremos. So what did he do for the rest of the time then? Was he just kind of hanging, hanging around in this quiet and um, solitary place? Or if you, let's look at Mark 6, verses 30 and 31. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And that word rest is this word eremos um, that I'm trying to remind you about. Jesus invited the disciples, his apprentices, into that quiet place. What for? Rest. Because he understands that we need body, soul and spirit rest. We are a being made up of three parts and we, each part of us needs rest. Our body needs rest, our soul needs rest and our spirit needs rest. So yes, it is a place of prayer but it is a place of so much more than just prayer. Our souls actually need to withdraw from people. We need to withdraw from noise and, and, and step into that quiet. We need to have that practice of solitude and silence. And if you've ever read the Screwtape Letters, have you, who's read the Screwtape Letters? I mean, they're a, a funny, funny book um, on one level, but very profound on another level. It's where C.S. Lewis, who is the apologist, theologian, um, the person we all know for writing Narnia, <laughs> basically writes a conversation between two, two um, demons, a kind of head demon and a kind of less, a lesser one. Are you coming to preach as well? Um, <laughs> I've, got a help. I've got a helper. Um, and in this conversation of the two demons, they, they call the, the kingdom of this earth a kingdom of noise. A kingdom of noise. It's interesting, isn't it? So the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of noise, but a kingdom, the kingdom of the enemy... You know, we're either in one camp or the other is a kingdom of noise. And I think that can hurt a little bit when we kind of think about it because actually we fill ourselves with good noise, don't we, as Christians? Or we think we're filling ourselves with good noise because we listen to podcasts and we watch YouTube videos from, you know, that person and this person who we know on, um, you know, big churches and other churches and teachers that we like. We listen to worship songs. But it's still noise, and it doesn't give our soul time to breathe. That isn't actually what Jesus invited them into. He didn't invite them into a place of eremos, meaning let's switch on the worship music and all have a kind of worship down. No, he invited them into a place of silence and solitude. And without giving our spa- ourselves space for this, we, we, we lead lives that become so busy and so full of noise that actually what we end up feeling is ex- exhausted and disconnected from other people and anxious. And when we get to that place, what happens is we make unhealthy choices like comfort eating and alcohol an unhealthy level of alcohol or porn or endless Netflix or endless YouTube all of these things are addictive you know if you look at actually what happens with our brain when we spend all our time on devices like this it is the same as an addiction 
So why then, if we kind of know that that's unhealthy for us, if the, and we, why do we get sucked into kind of the noise of it all? Why do we kind of fill ourselves with that noise? Well, that's really what I want to kind of unpack today, because I hopefully made the case last time as to why we should have silence and solitude. What I'm wanting today to do is to try and unpack maybe some of the reasons why we don't do it and help us kind of therefore find a way through why we need to do it. Well, I think the first reason is we're actually afraid of our own thoughts in silence and solitude. You know, if we keep ourselves really busy and really full of noise, then we won't think. You know, we won't catch our own thoughts. We won't become aware of our own feelings. One of the things that I have learned, you know, both in pastoral work and as a therapist and as somebody who does sozo and working with people, um, I have learned... People are capable of the most unbelievable levels of deception, including wonderfully God-fearing people. Why? Because they don't allow themselves time to become aware of themselves, aware of how they feel. You know, one of the tools that God uses to bring things up in us is silence and solitude. And if we don't allow that, then we don't become aware of those impure thoughts, those depressive thoughts, those jealous thoughts, those angry thoughts. Silence and solitude lets the kind of negative stuff come to the surface about how we feel. Our problem is, is that we're frightened of that. We're frightened that if we think those things or they come to the surface that we're really awful and we're really bad and so we stuff it down and we kind of make the noise so that we can't think those things and we can't feel those things. So I'm going to show you something that I use actually in Sozo training. So some of you will have seen this, but um, I felt it was kind of a helpful way of us to maybe understand kind of what's going on to help you understand. And it's, um, I, I developed it. It was, it was, it was something that um, I kind of drew and started using in my Sozo trainings. And people found it so helpful that um, I've then kind of gone on and used it. In, um, and it's kind of been adopted by lots of people. Um, and I call it my sozo tree, but it's just really, it's, it's kind of explaining us in a tree form. I find it really helpful to think about us as, you know, in pictorial forms. Um, so if you think about a tree, in the tree you have your, your branches, you, ha- you have your um, fruit in your tree, you have your leaves, you have your, your fruit. And, um, you know, the Bible tells us that we're meant to bear good fruit. And, um, you know, that's what we want to do as Christians. But unfortunately, often in our lives, there's lots of other things, isn't there? Things like hopelessness or shame or isolation or outbursts or anger or, you know, lots of different unhelpful things are in the branches. But they're they're fruit. The problem is, is what often happen, discipleship programs in churches often are about coming along and people saying, don't do it. Just don't do it. Whatever it is, whether it's angry outbursts or whether you're looking at porn or whether you're, you know, struggling with anxiety, the the basic answer in discipleship can often be just don't do it. The problem about that is the issue is not the, the fruit. You know, the fruit of a tree is only born by what is in the roots of the tree, by the nutrients it picks up and what it grows in. And it pops out the fruit as a result of what is further down below. Um, So it will never work just coming along and saying, don't do it, don't grow that fruit. 
Um, and then in our trunk, if you like, we have our beliefs, the things that we think about the world, the things that we believe about the world. And we are very motivated by our beliefs, you know, those hidden things that we sometimes don't think about. Um, but, you know, if we believe that we're worthless, surprise, surprise, we'll act in worthless ways. <laughs> you know, if we think we are a child of God and we're loved and we're treasured, we're going to think in a completely and behave in a completely different way. And, you know, often as Christians, what we do is declarations, and they can, can be really powerful. Obviously, God's word is always powerful. But we kind of end up sometimes with this kind of dissonance in our soul of, like, we're declaring something, but we don't really believe it because we still somehow would believe that we're worthless. So we're declaring that we're a child of God and we, we're worthy, but at the same time, we're still kind of believing, actually, I'm, not, I'm worthless and, no, I can't really do anything for, in the kingdom because, you know, who am I? So we kind of end up with this kind of dissonance in our soul, which, what do we do? about that well, we fill it with noise because we don't want to think about it too much because we don't really know what to do about it well the real thing that we need to look at is actually in is is down here in our in our roots and our roots are where we take all the nutrients for our life and unfortunately a lot of the nutrients for our life started you know there's little Isabella just a few weeks old but already she is learning. I have got a mum and dad who love me and care for me. I'm nurtured when I cry. Somebody feeds me or holds me. You know, already she's learning that. And that's the same for you and I. Right back from our childhood, we were already having input from our parents, from those who cared for us or didn't care for us. Unfortunately, we are, you know, we're all part of families, and that can be positive or there can be negative stuff that comes down our generational line that impacts what is in our roots. And so that's all the things that can be in our roots, cultural trauma, regional, you know, all of those things. And I think one of the reasons that we fill our lives with noise is because we're frightened about looking what's in our roots. But unfortunately, without looking at what's in our roots, we won't deal with the things that we believe and we then won't be able to bear good fruit. And, you know, I know what happens, and and actually there's loads of um, research to back this up now. I mean, they're now saying between 70 and 90% of physical conditions have a psychological um, impact, you know, root or impact. yeah, root, that's the best way to put it. Um, which, when you begin to think about it, that's actually quite stunning, really. I, no wonder our NHS is kind of groaning at the seams. I know there's multiple reasons for that, but one of the reasons is is we've all been through, you know, a, a stressful few years with, with COVID and the pandemic, and people don't know how to deal with it, so they're stuffing it down, and bump, it's popping up in other ways of, you know, depression and um, anxiety and physical ailments that they don't know how to cope with, and they're going to their doctors to get help with. So I'm not suggesting that we start all start spending a lot of time, you know, in you know years longs of therapy or so. I think sometimes we have to do that, and I don't have any problems with that, obviously. Um, but I'm not suggesting that we spend all our time having introspection. But one of the things that we need is some time for silence and solitude, so that we become aware of what is going in there and 
you know, God will then show us at the right time. You know, I am so grateful in my journey that God, when I was 20, didn't kind of go, look, Liz, there's all this mess from your childhood and here you better get on and deal with it because I probably would have like crumbled and had a breakdown or something because I wouldn't have been able to cope with it. What I found he's done is over the, pa- the period of the last however many years I've been since my 20s, um, he has gently, at the right time, with when I've had the right support around me, brought things up from my childhood, from my generational line, that I've been able to deal with and do it. But some of the process of that is it's come up in silence and solitude. I've become aware, actually, there is this dissonance between what I want to believe and what I actually believe, and so what's going on in my roots that I need to deal with, that I need to um, look at. And I think the second reason that we're afraid of silence and solitude is we're afraid, will God really speak to me in that? You know, it's easier for us to have a prayer time where we just list off a whole lot of things. You know, so we kind of, you know, praise and God, you're good, da, 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 and do all of that. Tick, I've done my praise bit. Um, and then I will tell him all the things I need to intercede for, or better world, you know, my family, things that I'm thinking about. Oh, great, I've, you know, I've done my prayer time now. Tick, tick, tick. And, you know, all that's good. I'm not knocking all of that. But it's very hard for us to listen and to hear him speak if we don't give him time to do that and I have found in my life that it you know in the space in the quietness in the gentleness I hear the still small voice of his whisper that he often speaks in stillness way more than he does in the storm and I think that's the message really of Elijah isn't it in the cave is that he found that to be true and I think, you know, this, this fear that God won't speak to us in silence is, again, based on wrong views of God, going back to this tree, because we often end up with wrong perspectives of God because of the pain in our past or the way. Even if we've been nurtured by amazing parents, they cannot be anywhere near as good as God is. And so we still will have some distortion between how we view God and how how our parents were and how we how we view God and so it's important for that to kind of us to become aware of that so that we can actually actually deal with it it and of course if we've had emotionally distant or physically distant parents then we're inevitably going to end up with a bigger gap between what we think about God and and how he actually is but it The Bible tells us that God is always speaking. In Job verse 33 and uh, 14 and 15, it says, For God does speak, now one way, now the other, though no one perceives it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on people as they slumber in their beds, God is always speaking, one way or another. if If he won't get your attention when you're awake... He'll break through in your dreams and <laughs> when you're asleep. You know, he, he is always speaking to us. The question is not whether he's speaking, but whether we allow ourselves the space and time to tune into him. St. John the Cross, uh, of the Cross, which he's, I think he was 17th century. Is that right? 17th, 13th century, somewhere around there. He, he said, carve out a day a week or an hour a day are a moment each hour and abide in loving silence with the friend. Feel the frenetic concerns of life in the world fall away like the last leaves of autumn being filled in the arms of the zephyr. 
be the bare tree. I know in my relationship with Stuart, some of the best communication we have is when we are silent together. And when we've just come back, not this last week, but the week before, for a week's kind of retreat together, where we just stuck our caravan in a very quiet campsite and just spent time with God and with each other. But a lot of that time was silence. We didn't say very much to each other. And yet, when you're in a deep relationship with someone, silence communicates an awful lot. The comfort of that silence, the freedom of that silence, the depth of that silence. And in that silence, God was able to speak to both Stuart and and to me. But if we don't allow us to have that silence, we're missing out on something. St. John of the Cross also said, "It it is best to silence the faculties and cause them to be still so God can speak. And I think that's one of the other things that happens when we have silence and solitude, is it gives our soul enough time to kind of process life, process what's going on around us, to feel what we feel, and then to bring God into that, and then to hear him. I think sometimes when we rush into the presence of God and we don't give ourselves that time, what happens is we don't hear him because our soul is so busy. (laughs) And I'm sure you all know what I mean by busy souls. I'm sure you all have (laughs) understand that. Or as the Bible verse that we sang in the Amanda Cook song, um, which, you know, bless her for basically putting a Bible verse and singing it over and over over and over again, um, but making a beautiful song out of it. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And I think we've interpreted that stillness in our busy, crazy world that values hurry and busyness where more than stillness and silence. We've interpreted stillness and solitude, silence and solitude as a passive thing, as a passive position, a place where nothing happens. But actually, that verse tells us, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. It's in this place of silence that God is exalted among the nations. It's not as we rush around frenetically, making prophetic declarations everywhere and doing this, that and the other, that he's exalted among the nations. It's actually when we're still and we're silent He's exalted among the nations. Or as Moses said in the story of the people of Israel coming out of Egypt in Exodus 14, verse 30, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance for the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. The victory was won in the stillness not in the crazy busyness. Silence and solitude is not passive. There is nothing passive about it. But it's actually a position, it is actually positioning ourselves for the Lord to win. Because it's saying, I trust you in this place of silence and solitude where I become aware of how I actually feel, where I become aware of your presence, then... I'm able to trust in you that you will be the one who wins for us. So I need to go to the Eremos, that quiet, silent, withdrawn place, because it's the place where he wins. So I've kind of outlined maybe some of the reasons why we might struggle with silence and solitude because of dealing, hearing our own stuff and being afraid of our own stuff or being afraid that he won't speak in it. 
So how do we overcome those and how do we take steps to it? Well, I think you know what the first one I'm going to say is because either Stuart or I say it pretty much every time one of us speaks. And the first thing is deal with what's inside of you. And for most of us, we need help with that. Because of the layers of self-deception that we all manage to do in our lives, um, we need help, which is why we're a church that absolutely loves Sozo and does Sozo and has a Sozo team and, um, and why we encourage people to have regular sessions. Now, you're all powerful and free people and you can access that or not access that depending on whether you want to or not. But it doesn't mean that you're going to get to some sort of place. You know, I don't know that we'll get there before this side of eternity. But... What I do know is that it will move us to that place where we are able to let our souls still before him. Secondly, allow that space for silence. Even if it's just for a minute or two, switch off the noise. And I know that can be hard. I mean, you know, I remember, you know, with three kids running around the house and people in and out of the house trying to grab any moment of solitude was incredibly difficult. I mean, there's a, there's a children's book um, called um, Two Minutes Peace. Yeah, two, Five Minutes Peace. Two minutes, I think it's actually Two Minutes Peace, isn't it? And it's all about this elephant who basically, elephant mummy, who basically has all these multiple children and, you know, she, they're all being noisy and she escapes to the bathroom for two minutes peace only to be dis- disrupted. Um, a five for five minutes piece only to be disrupted after two minutes and she never makes it to a five minutes piece and I definitely felt like that so of course it's going to look different for all of us you know some of you are retired and able to take more time and have more silence and solitude but what I would do encourage you is you know like St John the Cross just do something whether it's a minute two minutes whether it's every hour whether it's every day whether it's every week then Allow yourself to have some time. I know for me, it takes a little bit of time for my soul to settle from the busyness. That, you know, I have to switch off the noise. I have to kind of let my mind think of all the things that I haven't done. (laughs) And I usually write those on a piece of paper. You know, all the things that I, you know, the person I haven't messaged. Oh, you know, must remember to do that. So my mind thinks about all of those things first. And then I'm able to go to a place of uh, silence. Piece. We have a little tree in our garden, and I know that both, for both Stuart and I, we spend probably an inordinate amount of time staring at this little tree because it helps us both get to a kind of place of silence and solitude. So find what it is, it is for you. It might be that you need to kind of walk in order to your body to be doing something so that you can get to that place of silence and solitude. And allow yourself to breathe, to slow down. You know, one of the things that is really helpful to do in that place, silence and solitude, is just become aware of your own breathing, to become aware of your own body. And, you know, sometimes when you just, you know, if you take a deep breath in, you suddenly become aware of, like, you know, the tension that you're carrying or the anxiety that's there or the, the, the thoughts that are kind of ruminating underneath the surface that you've not given time to. So allow yourself to just breathe. And then allow yourself to feel. Don't deny the feelings. The good, the bad and the ugly. You know, sense your desire for God or maybe your lack of desire for God. You know, become aware of that. And then once you've spent some time in that, in that silence, then send, give, give yourself some time to just listen to him. So don't rush on 
to praying and worshipping and reading your Bible, as much as, it, as all of those things are important. But give yourself some time just to sit in the silence and solitude and hear the quiet whisper. Psalm 131, verses 2 and 3 says, Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, now and always. We need to still our souls, because as we still our souls, it takes us to that place where we learn to be a people who put their hope in God. So as apprentices of Jesus, let's kind of you know, commit to having some silence and solitude. Let's you know, say, okay, whether it's a minute a day or a minute a week or an hour a day or whatever it is, just let's start practising that silence and solitude and encourage one another in that practice. Let's, let's just pray. Let's just welcome Holy Spirit into us being able to have silence and solitude. Yeah, so just, you know, block out the noise around you and just have a moment where you become aware, just first of all, of, of the the rise and fall of your own chest, your own breath. And as you breathe out, just breathe all the, the thoughts, the chaos of your week out. And as you breathe in, just breathe in Holy Spirit's presence. Yeah. So Holy Spirit, we invite you into those places that we keep hidden, sometimes even hidden from ourselves. Holy Spirit, we want all of us, all of our body, soul and spirit to be following you and to not have any hidden places. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and that you would help us with this practice of silence and solitude. So that we can learn what it means to hear you, not from a busy, dashing, rushing place, but to come to that place of Eremos, that withdrawn place, that place of solitude, and to let you speak into our souls. Yeah. Jesus, we don't want to cover up our need for you with busyness, but we want you to make us aware of our need for you in every area of our life. So just if, if you know something comes to your mind that you know maybe you've been running away from that practice of silence and solitude because you've been filling it with lots of other things, your life with lots of other things, then just give that to God right now. And I think for some of you, 
it's maybe that you felt afraid, like, you know, if I, if I spend time in silence, then, you know, what is going to come out of me? And I'm afraid of that. Just tell him about that. One of the great things that we have is the Holy Spirit who teaches us. You know, when we don't know how to do something, he absolutely wants to help you learn how to do it. And when you're afraid of something, he'll comfort you and help you do it. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to help us and to see the importance and significance of this in our modern lives. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So I just would encourage you, like this week, why not have a go? So I know, you know, I'm sure you all spend time praying and reading your Bible and, and doing those things, but just maybe try and have a little bit of silence and solitude and see what happens. And it might be that, you know, on the way back from work, because your house is crazy when you get home, you just stop the car and you walk around a little park and you just step, sit on a bench and you allow yourself just to hear what your soul is saying and hear what he's saying into your soul.